This is the World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. A Russian missile attack on Mykolaiv, a city in southern Ukraine, killed at least one civilian amid strikes across the country. Russian attacks injured 13 people on Monday and left 80% of Kyiv's residents without running water and 350,000 without power. President Vladimir Putin said the strikes on Ukrainian infrastructure were partly retaliation for Ukraine's drone attacks on Russian ships in the Black Sea. Meanwhile, Oleg Tinkov, a Russian oligarch, renounced his citizenship, saying he didn't want to be associated with a fascist country. Jair Bolsonaro has yet to concede defeat in Brazil's presidential election more than 24 hours after Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva was declared the winner. Mr. Bolsonaro, the right-wing incumbent, suggested during the campaign that vote-rigging could yield an illegitimate result, raising fears about an orderly transfer of power should he lose. Lula won with 50.9% of the vote. Elon Musk, now the CEO of Twitter, which he bought for $44 billion last week, dissolved the social media company's board, making himself its sole director. It was reported that he intends to start charging the site's verified blue-tick users $20 a month. Mr. Musk had already alarmed Twitterati by tweeting, then deleting a link to a conspiracy theory about an attack at the home of Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of America's House of Representatives. Factory output in Asia weakened in October, according to business survey data. Manufacturing activity declined in Malaysia, South Korea and Taiwan as China's zero-COVID policy weakened demand and disrupted supply chains. On Monday, Shanghai Disney abruptly locked its gates to contain an outbreak of COVID-19, trapping visitors inside until they can show a negative test. Rides, at least, are still operating. A majority of justices on America's Supreme Court appeared sceptical of universities' use of race as a factor in admissions. Plaintiffs in the two cases at hand say the practice, known as affirmative action, discriminates against Asian Americans. The court has repeatedly upheld its legality, but has recently shown a willingness to ditch decades-old precedent. A decision is expected in June. President Joe Biden invoked war profiteering by America's oil and gas firms, along with the possibility that he could slap a windfall tax on the gains they have earned since the Ukraine war sent their revenues rocketing. But he implied they could avert extra taxes by passing on profits to consumers. If they did, he said, gasoline prices would be down about 50 cents a gallon. A federal judge in Washington blocked a planned merger between Penguin Random House and Simon & Schuster, two of America's biggest publishing houses. It was a victory for the Biden administration, which had argued against it on antitrust grounds. PRH, itself a product of a merger in 2012 and now owned by Bertelsmann, a German giant, promised to appeal the judgment. And fact of the day. 1.2 million. The amount in tonnes of liquefied natural gas awaiting delivery off European shores, up from 140,000 tonnes in August. 
And now, here's a deeper look at the day ahead. What Lula's win means for Brazil. Luiz Ignacio Lula da Silva will lead Brazil again after winning the country's fiercest contest since it returned to democratic elections in 1989. Mr. Lula of the Leftist Workers' Party will return as president. He previously served two terms between 2003 and 2010 after narrowly beating the right wing populist incumbent Jair Bolsonaro in Sunday's election. Lula won 50.9% to Mr. Bolsonaro's 49.1%, a margin of just over 2 million votes. After a campaign marked by violence and fake news, Lula must pacify a fractured country. Quote, I will govern for 215 million Brazilians, not just for those who voted for me, he said in his victory speech. But Mr. Bolsonaro, who has repeatedly cast doubt on the electoral system, may not accept defeat. Depending on his reaction, Bolsonaristas may resort to street violence. Lula hopes to boost spending to alleviate poverty. Mr. Bolsonaro's allies in Congress, though, may block his agenda. Lula will find governing much harder this time around. Another election in Israel. On Tuesday, Israel is holding its fifth parliamentary election in less than four years. Yet again, the campaigns center around whether Benjamin Netanyahu, the former prime minister who was forced out amid a myriad of scandals in 2021 and is now leader of the opposition, should return to office. Israelis are split on the issue. Right wing and religious parties supporting Mr. Netanyahu are forecast to win 60 seats in the 120 member Knesset. The rest will go to centrist and left wing parties opposed to his return. Under Israel's proportional representation system, no single party has ever won an outright majority in the Knesset. A stable government is far from assured. If Mr. Netanyahu's bloc wins a majority, he will be beholden to far right ultra nationalist parties. If Mr. Netanyahu fails, the incumbent prime minister, Yair Lapid, will be stuck with a coalition of squabbling parties, which last time collapsed after only a year. Yet another trip to the ballot box seems likely. The Bad Business Models of Digital Darlings On Tuesday, Uber will publish its quarterly results. Despite being the largest ride sharing company in the world, it is expected to report yet again that it spent more money than it made. And its problems are not unique. After a multi year bull run, American technology stocks are suffering a sharp correction. The tech heavy NASDAQ composite has fallen by almost 30% in the past 12 months. Crunchbase, a data provider, estimates the tech firms have shed more than 4,500 jobs this year. Some of those born after the dot com crash of 2001 seem particularly vulnerable. They include movers like Uber, streamers like Netflix, and creepers like Snap, which make their money by serving targeted ads, which have all seen their share performances decline. These businesses, though diverse, have made similar mistakes, including an overestimation of the value of users and an underestimation of the risk of copycats. Despite what tech enthusiasts once believed, the harsh laws of competitive capitalism still apply online. The Arab League meets. Quote, Sorry, something went wrong, reads an apology on the homepage of the Arab League's Duff website. Many of its 22 member states would agree. 
The group's first summit for three years opens on Tuesday in Algiers, Algeria's capital, but the leaders of most of the Gulf states, Morocco and Syria, which was suspended in 2011, are staying away. Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, Saudi Arabia's de facto leader, cried off, citing an earache. And Lebanon has no leader to send after its president stepped down on October 30th. Unlike other regional bodies, the League has no common market or currency and no peacekeeping force. It also has little consensus. Arab leaders disagree on Iran, Libya, disputed Western Sahara, and relations with Israel and Palestine. To find some common ground, the League's chairman, Ahmed Abul Gate, has suggested a focus on food, security, and other issues caused by Russia's war in Ukraine. But even that leads to rancor. While energy producers celebrate booming economies caused by high prices, consumer countries are crashing into recession. More beleaguered than league, perhaps. George Balanchine's Life and Art The life of George Balanchine, an influential ballet choreographer, was a journey across the political and cultural landscape of the 20th century. Born in St. Petersburg in 1904, Balanchine came of age during an era of revolution. He fled west, first to Berlin, then Paris, and eventually America. In 1934, he helped set up the School of American Ballet, and in 1948, he co-founded the New York City Ballet. Mr. B, a new biography by Jennifer Homans, is a portrait of a fascinating man and of the art to which he dedicated his career. Ms. Homans explores both the technical details of Balanchine's craft and the messy details of his personal life. For Balanchine, dance was inextricably bound up with love and sex. He was a difficult boss, generous but petty and tyrannical. Ms. Homans does not shy away from the darker side of his character, but is willing to forgive him for the sake of his genius. Daily Quiz Our baristas will serve you a new question each day this week. On Friday, your challenge is to give us all five answers and, as important, tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 1700 hours BST on Friday to quizespresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Saturday. Tuesday. Which American skyscraper was built in 1930-31 to to become the world's tallest building at the time? Monday. Which New Testament gospel is widely considered to be part of a two-volume work along with the Acts of the Apostles? Finally, here's the quote of the day from Walter Payton, who died on this day in 1999. When you're good at something, you'll tell everyone. When you're great at something, they'll tell you. That's the World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.